podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is a proud member of the Fan Hub 100. Football without fans is nothing, so we've partnered with Fan Hub to put fans first. Search Fan Hub app to play your part in the journey. You're listening to Voices of the Vic podcast with Ben Ayton and James Batchelor. Hello and welcome to the Voices of the Vic podcast with me, Ben Ayton. Um, thank, I must say, thank you very much for everyone's kind words on our last podcast. Um, I, I was left on my own um, and had to get in some new faces um, to freshen up Voices <laughs> of the Vic because um, Mike Duffy wasn't available, James Batchelor wasn't available. Um, so I managed to get Tom from Golden Pages in. Jacob Deacon is a good friend of mine and Frankie Holiday as well. And it was all the kind words that we received after that podcast um, was absolutely unreal. Um, we absolutely smashed what our average um, figures by quite a lot. Um, hopefully we can smash it again today. Um, I'm joined by two new people, two Davidsons on the voice of the Vic. Um, a good friend of mine, Harry Chapman's with me. Um, Harry's a season ticket holder. Um, I've played six side football with him. I've gone to Watford away games with him as well. He, he's, he's from Burko as well. Um, I think he's moved from Burko now. But, but um, Harry, how are you doing, mate? Hemel born and bred, Ben. Oh, Hemel born and bred. Uh, you went to Burko school, though, didn't you? I did, yeah. yeah. Had to get yeah, out there of there. <laughs> <laughs> Don't blame you. Yeah, nice for you to join us tonight, mate. And um, we've also got um, you... You on TV, um, YouTube host Pete, and also Twitter Spaces. Do not scratch your eyes. Host um, Pete, who's a season ticket holder. Um, Pete, how are you doing, mate? Thank you very much for joining us. I'm all right, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. I'm dra- dragging the average age of everybody here up, so apologies for that. But good to be here. Thanks, <laughs> thanks for inviting me. No problem at all. No, you're more than welcome to come on. I've listened to a lot of your stuff on um, the Do Not Scratch Your Eyes. Um, spaces lately and absolutely sterling job you're doing and if anyone hasn't listened to it after the pre-games go check it out because it's a great way to voice your opinions and hear all the rants that are going on um so please go check that out um so yeah we'll, we'll start off with the team news um from the weekend's game obviously we're here to discuss Watford's 10th home defeat in a row I can't believe I just said that <laughs> 10 home league defeats in a row it's absolutely uh, diabolical um, yet yeah, 2-1 defeat at home to Brentford another last minute goal it's the second time we've conceded a last minute goal to Brentford this season um, so the team news it was one change to the side Cucho Hernandez came out uh, and Emmanuel Dennis came in uh, Cucho Hernandez is out for the remainder of the season if you've not seen it um, he, he got substituted in the last game which looks like it was a muscle injury so he'll be missing for the rest of the season which is which is a shame, which I'll, I'll get both your thoughts onto it in a second. But it was Ben Foster in goal and um, the back four, Kiko Feminia, Christians Cavaselli, Samir and Hassan uh, Kamara. And then midfield three was Musa Sissoko, Imran Luza, Uri Kushka. And front three was Ismail Asar, Jal Pedro and Emmanuel Dennis. Uh, come to you first, um, Harry. Um, only one change to the side. Did, was you expecting more changes to that side? Because uh, it... Last last time out, it it wasn't too pretty for Watford, was it? Yeah, um, I wasn't expecting any more changes. Uh, I was hoping for a couple of changes, maybe try something a little bit different. Um, the other nine games at home hadn't gone too well, so I thought maybe try something a little bit different. Maybe King with Pedro in behind, play two sort of holding midfielders, but no, didn't didn't happen. So yeah, I wasn't surprised, but um, was hopeful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you kind of expect the same kind of personnel now under Roy Hodgson, don't you? You kind of know who he's going to put out before the team news comes out. Um, obviously, Hugo Hernandez is a big blow um, now, isn't he? But the only ready-made replacement for him was that Manuel Dennis, wasn't it, Harry? It was. And I, I was saying to my dad on uh, the weekend, I'm surprised... 
like I, I can't work out the last time we had a full bench as well. So like when we've had a full bench with players to come off the bench and make an impact, I actually think we've looked quite dangerous and we've worked teams down and then we've brought like six exciting players on. Um, and it's just another week of not being able to do that really, wasn't it? <laughs> Definitely was. Um, Pete, um, so we saw Dan Gosling come back onto the bench as well. He, he's kind of been left out in the blue ever since he, he was admitted from the match day squad. And then he was added back in after we sold Ashley Fletcher late on. That just goes to show how much of a mess what the football club is at the moment, doesn't it? How he's been left out in the dark and then he's included again. Uh, absolutely. I think I think you probably most people probably expected to see a similar team because that's the kind of continuity that Hodgson is famous for. He'll put out the same starting eleven time and time and time again. Um, but I think Harry's got it absolutely spot on in terms of the lack of impact options he gave himself from the bench because we've, we've we've gone and bought Kalu. Why? Because he doesn't seem to want him. We've also got um, you know young Bar who's ripped it up when he's been in the German under twenty ones but doesn't seem to get a run. Uh, both look deadly in training on the club, you know, kind of uh, on the club videos, don't seem to get any action. And of course, Gosling, we know as a midfielder, is that midfielder who can, as he did get away against Norwich last year, last season, remember remember those days when we used to win games, um, he could get forward and get into positions and arrive late in the box. And we don't have anybody who does that, um, you know, well, unfortunately, the only one was loser. And of course, we know what happened in the 93rd minute. He, it didn't it didn't work out but that's something that he could actually do an offer and they made a great play of you know kind of going oh right well here's our 25 man squad and now we're going to let ashley fletcher go off because we're presumably flush with strikers um off to off to new york and then we're going to bring gosling in and then he doesn't get anywhere close to it if you're going to use him use him um so yeah it's a bit frustrating but hey ho so has the season been <laughs> hundred percent. And I quite like Dan Gosling as well. And I feel terribly sorry for him. He was a really good signing for what the last season. He was exactly what we needed. Okay, he upset a lot of players, uh, people when he did join the club. Um, people who were very anti-Bournemouth particularly. Uh, but it was a shrewd signing. It reminded me of a time when we signed Ben Watson when we needed to get out of the division and he needed that experience. Um, but Dan Gosling, like you say, is very good in the opposition's penalty box and he's more of a threat than maybe some of the other central midfielders that we've actually seen um, play well, for Watford. And if, if you go back, and I appreciate I'm going back to the second game of the season here, but it kind of makes the point, which was away at Brighton, which was a horrendous performance. And we had loser, cleverly and a Tebo. Well, to be honest with you, I've got I've got a bedside lamp that would tower over the three of them. You know, sometimes you need some physicality in the middle of the park. Why not use him? He's got a level of, of of height. He's got some physique. He can do that sort of thing. And, you know, it was no surprise that we then went and bought Sissoko because he does give us some physicality if on occasion it's not really a passing range. Um, and, and I think the thing that I've seen continue is if you look at our stats for running with the ball, we're right up there. Because no bugger passes to each other. They don't break. And if you're going to break, it's got to use the ball quickly pass the ball in behind their, their back line and get somebody like, oh, I don't know, Sar or Dennis running on. We don't. We run out with the ball all the time. We're like, we're like, um, we're like an American football team who constantly go the, the running back rather than thinking we could throw it. That's, you know, I don't know if you guys agree with that or not. Yeah, no, 100%. I'll come to Harry with this. Do you feel like when you're watching this, what the team, obviously we can all see there's no identity with it, but... The, the worrying thing is, is that front three isn't there, and it looks like there's there's no work on the training ground for them to understand what each other's work is actually they're meant to do on the, the pitch. We've seen it this season under Claudio Ranieri. The front three works really well. There was interchanging and the high pressing. Cisco even started that this season as well. But under Rui Hodgson, they've really lost their identity those front three, and it just looks like there's no pattern of play at all. Well, I get the picture from looking at them. I, I just don't think they like each other. You see Saar and Pedro it's, and Dennis, it's like a competition on who can run at the players most. They could play each other in, they choose not to. So the player that would have been played in remembers it and doesn't play the other person back in favour. And it's, it, yeah, it's just like they don't really like each other that much. Um I don't really understand what Hodgson's doing on the training ground to get them to do that. 
Um, but it just seems they're in competition with each other rather than working for each other, which I thought, especially against United, they all work so well together. Yeah. I mean, if you, yeah, go, and, if, you, if you go back to like, you know, the 1890s, which let's face it, Hodgson could, um, you know, when football first started off, you'd have two players at the back and then you'd have five attackers and they'd all just take it in turns at running each other because passing was seen as kind of, I don't know, unethical or something. It wasn't in the Corinthian spirit. We're a bit like that. We get the ball and you called it. They're absolutely right, Ben. Everything is impromptu. Everything is make it up on the spot. There's no movement off of one another that, that you can see at all. So we just defend for long periods and then we get it. We just kind of go, oh, we'll try something and see what might happen. And that's why Dennis has got goals because he can, he can go and beat a player. Um, he loses it an awful lot, but I imagine he probably doesn't think he's going to pass it to anyone. One, because he doesn't want to. And secondly, because nobody else in the team has actually proved they can do anything else with it better than he can. Which is just selfishness. Yeah, selfishness from the front three. And there's like we've seen, with um, Frankie Holiday says, we've seen it uh, multiple times over the last couple mm. of weeks. Absolutely. This example where they just doesn't want to pass with each other. We've seen it where... Dennis is in acres of space on the left-hand side, but Joel Pedro doesn't want to release the ball into him and then vice versa. You, you see Joel Pedro not wanting it to pass to Emmanuel Dennis and you maybe think maybe Harry's right here where it's a bit of a competition and they, they want to be that main man. But you, you, we, we need team players, especially in the relegation fight. You, you can't be a, a me team. You've you got to perform as a team and we've not seen that lately and it's just frustrating. It just adds to the frustration of being a Watford supporter this season. Um, it's, but it's, it's also another indication that we haven't got a leader in the team. Because when if we go back to, crikey, probably the first season of the Premiership, you had Igalo and you had Dini. And there was a there was a, a, a game up at Man United and Igalo just had to square it. Dini was, Dini was there. Yeah. We lost the game 1-0 from, from memory. Um, and Dini was like incandescent with rage. And, and just basically kind of went at him and said, look, you have to do the right thing. You can't do it. I appreciate you're a striker and you're inherently going to be selfish because you're going to try and get the but That has to come across. We haven't got anybody in that front three who is an who is the alpha of the team who can say, do it this way. This is the way to do it properly. And seemingly the coaches don't seem to be doing it and uh, nobody else in the forward line or in the team is doing it. Otherwise, they would be at least, there, there wouldn't be the incompatibility between the three. Well, it doesn't look like they're doing anything defensively either. Um, that first goal at the weekend, I, I don't know if you guys saw it, but it looked like I could see it from a mile off. You could see exactly what was happening. Kiko was being left at the far post with three men. It looked like he wasn't even shouting around saying, I've got two, got three, making other people aware that he's got people there. Um, Brentford, that was their third goal they scored from a flick on, like if you're into your stats, you will know that Brentford are dangerous at set pieces and they're going to get that flick on at the near post. But Watford, they didn't they didn't help Kiko at the back. Kiko didn't help himself out. And then it was just, it was so easy and it looked like it was slow motion. And it was just a story of Watford's season again. And I'm putting it down to individual errors as much as um, uh, Roy Hodgson's errors there because the, the players on the pitch didn't help out at all there. But Harry, that's so avoidable, isn't it? I, I think personally we should have won the header anyway. It wasn't a Rory Delap type throw. It was loopy. There was three on two. We should have got the better of the first ball, but we don't. We never do. And we never win the second ball. The guy's walked past Saar. He's not put a jog in. He's walked into our six-yard box and helped himself to a tap-in. Yeah. Um, Pete, how, how yeah. do you feel about that first goal? It's- well, I mean, we 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 did. Uh, we we've been doing it a little bit less due to being busy on other things, but also um, on on on, on thing that we started called the boot room um, on on New Ones TV, which was about looking at it from a tactical point of view, taking screen grabs from the game, and hopefully trying to share something, hopefully a little bit different, perhaps who knows. Um, and we we stopped it because of the the number of individual errors that there are. But going over <laughs> that, you could go all the way through the season. We have always left the man over at the back post. All season. Nobody has corrected it. We've had three coaches who've made seemingly no effort or no, that's not it. They might have made an effort, but they have been absolutely, you know, kind of have, have made no impact in terms of in terms of what we do. We kind of tend to defend the width, if you like, of the penalty box. And then we kind of shuffle 
left to right, depending on which side the ball's going down. But what happens is as we do that, the the kind of um, central or the, or the, the kind of um, the nearest to the left back, if it's going down the right side, over pulls in, basically pushes far, farther over than he needs to. And our, our left back or our right back, whichever side it's on, is left with two on one. Uh, the Crystal Palace goal that um, uh, Kamara had, where the ball came over and it came into Conor Gallagher. And he was kind of sitting there because he got two. He couldn't commit either way. And then it was, oh, right, the ball's with Gallagher. I'll go to him. Touch, it's in. You can't, you haven't got time to, to, to kind of try to make up ground in the in the six-yard box. And the problem is, is that midfielders, exactly as you said there, we start, are not picking up the runners and we are not good enough to be able to be organised and talking. And again, we come back to that personality within the within the actual team and the communication to say no this is where you go this is what you do we have a team of beaters in a world of alphas that's our problem do you i'm just going to throw it out there do you think it's down to the communication levels in the back four where it's the language barriers like there's there's lots of nationalities in the back four like last season i think it worked quite well in the championship we had trucy con in the center he, he could speak to messina on the left he could speak to terriota on the right and maybe is is Kiko and Samir not communicating enough, or um, Cabaselli not communicating enough this well, season? Feminier has been here a long time, and I've not seen him speak a word of, of of anything other than Spanish. That's fine if you're playing in a Spanish back four, but it is a lot about communication. Um, but they are training next to each other, you know, every single day you know, six days a week, including recovery. They are going into meetings and understanding where things are. They have um, interpreters. You should know where you're going. When you get to the pro level of the game, the, you know, unlike Sunday morning where everybody will say talk, 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 at the pro level game, it's actually quieter because you should know instinctively where people are and where they are going. Um, you know, it's so the communication shouldn't be the big thing. They're working on it enough. For me, it comes down to the individual personality traits and the blend thereof in our back four across our midfield isn't quite so bad. It'd be nice if we had people who didn't have a collective age, you know, about three times older than me. Um, and then you've got the same problem up front in terms of that. There's nobody who's saying this is how it has to be done. Now, I know Deeney was, you know, um, shall we say, you know, get, getting on past his sell-by date in terms of in terms of his his play, but his personality was one of, you know, it's this way or the highway, and it's kind of that that at least got us moving in one direction rather than what we've seen, which has been really disparate and uncoordinated and very surprising because, you know, Ray Lewington is a good coach. Roy Hodgson knows what he's doing. He's had a long career and there has seemed to be very, very little impact beyond what the first three clean sheets that we managed to keep in the first six games, I think it was. Since then, it's been return of the old and, as you called out, also individual errors. And that, again, comes down to the individual people. Yeah, Harry, are you surprised with how Watford aren't more defensively drilled with maybe Ray Lewington at the club? Like like Pete says, we started off not too badly. We had three, three clean sheets in four games, I think it was. Uh, majority of them came from away from home. Um, well, all of them, I think, came from away mm. from home. Um, was you expecting a bit more of an impact from um, Ray Lewington um, on the, on the training field? I, I was, but um, there's only so much they can do. I think with with that back four, I think we've improved with mm. Kamara, but I think he flies into tackles. Um, like if if they're not willing to take on board what's being said, then there's no point really putting it forward because let's be honest that both goals, are, well, league one should be able to defend them. Like it's not hard work. They've just, they've won a flick on and then they've scored the tapping and then they've like, we've not defended a free kick. So it's not so much. I, I, I just think it's more the quality that we have. We don't have, as Pete said, we don't have a natural leader at the back. Well, I think we did with a Kong, but he come in, had a shocking start to the season but I feel like he was the only one sort of really communicating. And it it is still, you still, at the top level, you still obviously do need to communicate because the guy's walked off Sar's shoulder. So all he needs to do is get one shout. But the pers- the main thing is, um, I think, Foster. I think he sees the full picture. So why is he not letting them know? We all ha- sort of have doubts about Backman, but at least his communication's unquestionable. 
hundred percent. Yeah, the, like you say, goalkeeper sees everything in front of him, and I think um, Foster should have done better for the second goal as well. I don't know how no one spotted Emmanuel Dennis playing everyone on side by about three, four yards. I don't know why no one was looking across that line, shouting and screaming at Emmanuel Dennis to push up, and yet they they just let him carry on doing what he was doing, and then by the time they noticed. Because it, it looked like Foster wasn't even moving for the ball when it when it, it came up to um, Janssen, was it? Because I don't know whether he noticed at that point that Emmanuel Dennis was playing him on side. Well, then the the header was the contact from the header was inside Foster's six yard box, mm. and that's not good enough. There should have been someone on the edge of the box shouting, "No one past me!" It's pretty simple stuff. Deeney would have done it all the time. You do not go past the edge of the box, Dennis. I don't know what the guy wasn't wouldn't have been in play really. So I don't really know why he's gone with him. And at the time it was one all, one minute to go. Why is Dennis even back there? Like it's a, it's I mean we're down, but it was it's still a must win game. Like what's he doing back there? It, I don't know if you two noticed this as well, but I, I thought Dennis was absolutely flat out on his heels um probably from about 60, 70 minutes. He looked absolutely shattered. And I was thinking that Roy was going to sub him, but then we made that one change and then the second, well, it's a double substitution at first. And then we made that third substitution. I was like, I'm surprised Dennis is still on the pitch because he just looked so tired. And I don't know if that played into effect a little bit towards the end as well, while he was, he was back defending that in the first place and not standing on the halfway line. Um, but he yeah. did pick up his... Again, I think think it comes down to the fact that Roy, either through choice or I don't know if there were injuries, we didn't hear any news of it. He didn't give himself anybody naturally to replace Dennis. You know, it's a game which is, I mean, it's it's pointless to say it's a must win game. We've had the last eight, nine games have been must win games, but we still managed not to. you know, where you've got to go for it. You've got to give yourself an attacking option that if we're chasing the game, I've got to, I've got to have something to change and link up front. Not having Kalu and not having Barr, and I appreciate Barr is untested, but, you know, the, the, the third and final change was what? Feminia for Cathcart? Yeah. Okay. Okay, so we're not in a relegation dogfight. We're not trying to get three points from this home game, which is entirely pivotal. You're, 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 don't get me wrong. I think I think Cathcart has been a fine servant, and a fine, but is he going to change the game going forward when we're at one all? No. Did he really make a material difference on the on, on the free kick that came in? No, because again, he's not the alpha male in that particular position. Because I agree with exactly what you say about one dropping in, also about Ben Foster. But if you look at Cabaselli, Cabaselli's ahead of it and lost his man completely. And Cathcart mm-hmm. is having to do exactly what we just spoke about with Feminia, which is I've got two, which one am I taking? Um, you know, so it, I think, I think at some point you have to go, yeah, we appreciate that Roy is a defensive coach who will break, but we're not breaking effectively, but you have to give yourself an opportunity to go at, go at teams and bring on fresh legs from the bench. And he leaves it incredibly late um, to make any changes whatsoever. And then they don't tend to be, you know, he doesn't give himself the option of an attacking uh, attacking option, which is a shame for me. Yeah. And uh, Mike Duffy's watching tonight and he just popped up with a comment <laughs> saying, um, Foster did the same against us when Richardson scored for us against West Brom Albion. And uh, uh, he's, he's saying about how he, he's let Richardson come into a six yard box, win that header, and literally just stands there and, and not make a move. Um, so we have well, seen it. From ben attempt to get it and he'll get a foul against him. It's not hard. Like, all he has to do is attempt to get the ball, and any touch on him is a foul on the goalkeeper. Like, you just need to be a bit clever. Oh, I guarantee you their keeper would have come for it and probably got the foul. Yeah. Well, we we see goalkeepers get protected by referees, don't they? Yeah. When there's the smallest minimal um, challenge or coming together. Uh, so Foster, he, he needs to wise up. I've not been impressed with Foster for a long time at Watford. It's especially the last two, three months. Uh, beforehand, I thought he was actually doing quite well. When he won his spot back from Daniel Batman, he was making some big saves, important mm-hmm. saves to keep us into games. But maybe the last six to eight weeks, performance-wise, haven't been great. And like like Harry has said, you need to be vocal as a goalkeeper like Daniel Batman is. Um, and we have missed that, especially this weekend. Uh, but... Bat- the Batman Foster debate has probably been settled by one thing, which is Foster tends to dominate his box more. 
and he's not doing that at the moment, which which mm. then get kind of you know, oh right, let's revisit Plan B, you know, which is Backman, um, who doesn't dominate his box. I mean the the own goal from Sierra Alta against Wolves is a, is a prime example of a ball coming into his box and him just sitting there and freezing. Um, you know, where, whereas he could come and claim it. And you're absolutely right. What you want from your from your goalkeeper is somebody who will come and take the pressure off of the centre backs. You know, yes, they've got to win it, but if you hear a call, you get out of the way. He comes and and if he if he clears people out doing it, he does it. That's fine. And as you said quite rightly, you'll get free kicks given if he's touched half the time. We've we've just stopped doing that. It looks like there's a bit of uh, genuinely, it looks like there's a bit of a resignation going on in terms of that. Yet the overall performance in the second half, in fairness, was we were trying to, you know, we were actually trying to get something. It's, it's all very counterintuitive because, you know, they were, you know, we were so close to getting the winner in the 93rd minute. But in the ultimate Watford two minute spell, we managed to, you know, grab defeat from the jaws of uh, from the jaws of victory, literally. Yeah, well, let's talk. Let's talk about that moment now. If there was a moment to sum up Watford's season this year, that um, that thirty to sixty seconds summed it up um, perfectly. Um, ball falls to Joshua King on his left foot. You think it, it's in? He hits the post. Falls to Imran Loser, middle of a box, six-yard box. Managed to fire it over the high and wide. Um, then Kamara gives away a silly, silly foul. And like you said earlier, Harry. I've noticed Kamara, he, he has made these silly fouls at needless times and you don't do that so late on into a game. And I, I don't know if you guys agree with me on this, but you just knew Christian Eriksen standing over that ball, he's going to get a good delivery in the box. And you just knew if they get their head on this, that's in the back of the net. Harry, how do you how do you sum up those last two minutes for Watford? It was just gut-wrecking, wasn't it? Yeah. To be fair, though, I think if we had a scored, it's probably offside. VR go back. Sissoko touches the ball offside, but still put the ball in the back of the net, and we stop them from going up the other end and scoring. But it's just, it's just, yeah, ridiculous. As soon as he dived into that tackle on a yellow card as well, and he's still diving into them sort of tackles. What well, wasn't that? He wasn't breaking anywhere, was he? Really, I don't think there was covering players. He still dived into it. It's a clear foul, and then yeah, as you say, it was only ever going in one place, um, just because of how poorly we defend set pieces. I was just surprised it wasn't the second ball that got us because I think that's what sort of gets us most times. Yeah, Pete, how, sum up that last two minutes for you as uh, well. It was like the Deeney Leicester goal, but in reverse, really, wasn't it? You know. Um, <laughs> It misses at one end and then in in seconds, and therefore it's that roller coaster ride, and it's we're on the receiving end. So of course you're going to have a look at it. But I, I agree with your point about Ericsson. and you know I'm not I'm not necessarily the greatest of followers of the egg chasing game, but you know when you're talking about discipline in a rugby match, you do not give free kicks away in your own half if the opposition have got somebody who can put the ball where it needs to be. And it's exactly that scenario. Ericsson had that bit of quality. He wasn't that great a game. But he's always going to have that ability on the ball at, at set pieces to potentially bring something around. And um, and he did. So we just happened to pay the consequences. Um, it's kind of, it's probably already, it was already probably too little too late anyway. But it would have been nice to have stopped this run of 10 straight home defeats. If for no other reason than I've got a friend at work who's a Birmingham fan. And now we hold the joint record with them. <laughs> Um, that would have been nice. Fortunately, obviously, they lost 6-1 to Blackpool, so he hasn't been able to give me any ribbon this yet today. But um, it would have been nice to have got that monkey off of our back. But we, we couldn't hold out for those last 30 seconds. So what can you do? It's, it's, and looking at the fixtures, it's like, where are we going to pick up that point? Or, like, we, we all know Watford are going to get relegated. We're not going to even discuss that. I think we, we can all admit it. It's going to be a very tough task for Watford to come back from this position. Um, but where are Watford going to stop rut at home now? Because this could easily go 11 games, 12 games, 13 games. Um, where's it going to come? I think we've got Burnley up next. And then we've possibly got Leicester City at home as well. T- like two mm-hmm. good sides coming to Vicarage Road and tough sides as well. Like Leicester are starting to play well now. I know they were struggling under Brendan Rodgers because um, they were struggling between the Europa um, Conference League and the Premier League and their yeah. form was slipping in the Premier League but, but it looks like they've, they've started to turn um, turn that around and at Burnley, they've obviously got rid of Sean Dyche and they've got a good point at weekend away at um, West Ham as well so 
they're going to be difficult teams. If I'm honest, I can't see us getting anything out of those games. Uh, well, you know, it, it's I couldn't agree with you more. Um, we have to hope that, you know, Burnley are in a bit of a disarray um, and that they don't get some kind of manager bounce. Um, you know, Leicester is always a, you know, it'll go one way or t'other, um, or it tends to be with, with them. I would hope that because they, they, they're through the semi-finals, aren't they, of the Europa, of the Europa League? Yeah, no, they beat what, Pierce Whatever they call um, it, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so you would hope they might have potentially their minds else, elsewhere would be a nice thing. Um, so we get it because mathematically we've still, we're still in how I have no idea with, with potentially a shout. So we need to do it. Mike says we'll beat city on Saturday. There you go, Mike. That's why I like you. So well done. Gosling last minute. You sport it with that bit. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> That's just crazy talk. How's he going to score from the bench? <laughs> <laughs> That's if he comes off the bench, he'll probably put Cathcart on. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, well, we need a win. Let's let's bring on Cathcart and change the goalkeeper, probably. But <laughs> so, yeah, no, it's 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 a pain. The the vast majority of people commenting on this season in social media is, is is pretty much of a muchness. It's let's just get this over with and get and press the restart, whatever that's going to be in the in the close season. You know, let's let's get some of these guys who you know we need some one. We need some energy in the team. We need some people to take charge of this team, and we need some leaders in this team. So. Where it's going to come from, hopefully, we'll be delightedly surprised because Roy Hodgson actually has a a pretty bang on record of up at Man City, um, but uh, he also did at Liverpool, and that didn't work there either. So we'll we'll wait and see. <laughs> yeah, he got some big results for Crystal Palace when they travelled up to he the did. Etihad and um, beaten them on a couple of occasions. Um, Harry, I know you're quite hopeful sometimes when I, I speak to you or Mike's spoken to you and you, you, you don't give up hope on Watford staying up but is that hope all gone now? Um, do you actually see um, us staying up or is it dead and buried for you as well? I don't see us staying up, there's still a glimmer of hope in terms of no one really is getting away from us but we're not picking up points so it's not going to be it's not going to be um yeah, it's not going to be an exciting last couple of games. I can't see. Uh, it's annoying. I think it's a massively, it's a massive opportunity missed. I think the standards of the bottom five teams, yeah, five maybe six teams. I don't think it's brilliant. I don't f- actually think we're one of the worst sides in that, which is surprising. Um, I just think we've probably had, we've underachieved with talented players we've got players that aren't confident they don't want to take people on their strengths are taking people on they don't want to take them on anymore but yet Pete's saying we we run more with the ball but I'm I'm thinking that's more players that we don't want to be running with the ball um yeah I I, I, we we are down but a small part of me thinks if we beat Burnley and Everton who knows That's it, the teams who are around you as well. So if you claw points back on them, who knows? And it could be a now bright and finish, but I'm not going to get too excited. Uh, Frankie Holiday's posted up another comment saying, you know exactly what's going to happen. We'll mathematically be down and then we'll start to win games. It always seems a way. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't mind if that happens, Frankie. At least we'll win a game. <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, so we, we all think that Watford are going to get relegated this season. Um do you think that it's just like the recruitment in January wasn't too bad? Like we brought in to me, he has done a, a better job in that defence than other players have been this season. Kamara's obviously been an upgrade as well. Is it a case of it might have been a different season if we did bring those players in earlier, maybe in um, the summer um, at the start of the season, Pete? I think the damage was probably done in the summer. Um, I think losing Will Hughes, and hindsight is wonderful, but everybody was saying it at the time as well, so fair play, was that there was a player that you could build around. There was a player with premiership quality and who has an understanding of the physical side of the game. Loser has come good. He was my pick at the start of the season, saying, you know, if you look at what he's done at non, the boy, the, you know, he can he can deliver basically. He can deliver a ball. He can deliver a set piece. He's got he's got something in his armory, but it took him what, four to six, you know, four, four, four to five months, perhaps, maybe, to kind of play his way into one into the side because he had a shocker at Brighton, 45 minutes then off, and then he, he took a, lot, a while to get in, which is fair enough. He's got, he's got to adjust. The boy has only ever lived in, in one town in France his whole life. So 
it might have been a, a big shock to him. But he, he's come, he's come good. He's given us sort of something. But with other than that, Sissoko, as I said earlier on, was almost a reaction, seemingly, to the Brighton game of Christ. We've got no physicality in the middle. What? Who? Who can we go and get? And I think he's done his best, but I don't think he is a replacement for uh, a Kapu or a Decore who gave you a real balance, or even Kapu and Barami who also gave you that sort of different level of balance and slightly different. Takure would get forward when he was playing like alongside uh, Kapu, whereas Kapu would get forward when more when he was playing alongside Barami. I, I think if you look at those first two to three years that we were in the Prem, I don't think the squad had the same level, didn't have the same depth, especially in and around the centre of midfield where the, where the, where the game is contested, you know, at, you know, most fiercely and often most, uh, you know, kind of most importantly. So I think that's an issue. And I think it comes down to, I mean, Harry, I think you used the word, you know, we've, 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 that there are worse teams technically or skillfully. I don't think there is a worse team in terms of individual grit, determination and personality, because we've not seen a reaction from any or many of those players from, you know, the, uh, from, from your, your, the manager, you know, you're the boss, the person who's been working you and selecting you. We've now, we, he's now had to go because of what you've been doing on the pitch. Mike called out the Leeds game, which was Cisco's last game. And it was pathetic. It really was. Nobody turned up. It was the, the only surprise was it was only one nil because they were far superior to us. Uh, we've got t- uh, players at the back who, if they are put under pressure, will literally fold and their passing rates just drop off. Whereas the better players with stronger mentality in similar positions in comparative clubs have better stats, basically, when they have got the ball and especially when they haven't. So, no, yeah, I think I think, I think think it was in the summer. Yeah, um, one player I want to speak about quickly now who I, I felt he he's probably has rolled up his sleeves maybe the last couple of weeks and it's someone who... He's, he's got a lot of a slap because maybe his age is Uri Kushka. Um, I, I felt like maybe the last three, four weeks, he's probably been one of Watford's better players who's actually given everything. And I, I thought there was there was a spell in the second half when the Ripper was getting behind the players. It looked like Kushka was trying to get things going as well. And he was trying to be a bit of a leader on the pitch. And we've, we've not really had any leaders on the pitch, especially... Like you say, Sissoko, I don't think he's a leader. I don't think he's a captain material. I don't know if he's just been given the armband because of his experience that he's had at playing internationally for France. He's got a lot of caps for him. He's played for Tottenham for a long time as well. But for me, that don't warrant having the captain's armband. He shows no leadership on the pitch. Like I know we're comparing it to the leaders that we have had before, like the likes of like Jay Demerit, Neil Cox, Troy Deeney, where they all get everyone going and raring and up for the game. But you don't see that. It's just like always seen as a little email on, on a Thursday night saying, get get to the Vic on a Friday for a Norwich game. We need your support. That's about it from Sissoko. It, it's not yeah. done anything else to get them, them um, up and raring, have they, Harry? No, and, and to be fair, to go back on sort of Pete's point, I think you think about who we lost in the summer. We lost... Chaloba, Hughes, and then obviously Deeney. They're the three, probably they were arguably three of the biggest voices we had in the promotion season, and now we're struggling for that leadership and the voice to sort of take us forwards. And we've replaced them with yeah, Cook because he's he's done okay the last couple of weeks. Um, but all I say is he he tries hard, and that should be a bare minimum. He can't finish. I saw him at Southampton. He played well against Southampton, but two 0 he should have put the game to bed, made it 3-0. They got back into it, could have won it. Like So we, we're like nervous half-time 2-1. He should have put the game to bed. And Sissoko, again, he's just he's, he's your ball carrier, isn't he? Like he's just He wins the ball back, loses it twice. He'll win it back again. Like It's not, I don't know, he doesn't really do much in terms of passing, does he? No, he doesn't. Um, Kuchka has got fine pedigree. He has been a fantastic player in his time. He was at AC Milan for a while. He went out to Turkey, I think it was Trabzonspor, um, and then came back. And he can be a hell of a player. And of course, he's a bit like Paredes, if you remember Paredes in that time, who came on and had a wonderful debut. 
and everyone went, hit, what hit have we got here? Moment, yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. He, he came on and we thought, my God, we've got someone here. And it was like, no, I'm done now. <laughs> Cheerio. Um, <laughs> the, 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 the problem with Kuchka, um, we did we did a, a thing when we when we first signed him, just, just to kind of go, really? Is he that good? Let's have a look. He missed, I think it was something like 12 games for Palmer and before that, Trabzonspor, I think it was. Um in the last two seasons. And I said, so the problem is when you then looked at those, they were kind of like those niggly, you know, look, I'm sorry, I'm old and things now hurt and take a little bit longer to heal kind of thing. So what are we going to, the question became, what are we going to do when we haven't got him in midfield? Because boy, did we miss him against Brighton when he wasn't there. Um, but, the, but the thing is, is that we shouldn't be relying on a 35 year old in the center of midfield, no matter how good he is. Because he just he, he's going to need he's either going to have we keep putting you in because we've got no option at which point his form dips or we let we take you out we bring you back in again and he's he's kind of done a, like a rotational thing with cleverly um, you know to try to give him kind of I don't know sixty minutes here and thirty minutes the other way which is fine I think the the problem is one you can't rely on him from that and then he had a very unfortunate set of games. Um, you know, where he just would have those crucial moments where something went wrong, giving the free kick away against Tottenham, you know, when the lads, had, if you remember at home, we'd, we'd, they'd fought manfully, didn't really try and attack very much, but they defended all that way. He gives it away and it's the deciding, it's the deciding feature. And it's exactly what we've just said about Brentford. You know, we've given them a ball. They can put the ball in with some pace and it's, it, it's there and he, we haven't learned. But he got affected, I think, greatly by that. Um, one in the eyes of the of the fans because it was immediately people came on and went bloody Kuchka, you know what's he done there? We had exactly the same thing with Liverpool because of course they scored uh, in the last game after he'd missed the the one on one, missing yeah. the fact that he he'd won the ball on the edge of the box, he'd fed it into Pedro, run kind of sixty yards to get in front of the cop to try to take the ball, and then hadn't done it. You know, I'm probably closer to his age. I couldn't, I couldn't run from here to the garden, let alone the bloody, you know, the amount of acres that he was covering at that particular point. But the problem is, he's had those unfortunate key moments that have been high profile, and people have gone, oh. So, you know, I think, I think he's a player. I think we're over reliant on a player who's just, you know, understandably tired at the end of a very, very physical season where he's been overused uh, and in areas where it's very hard for him to keep up now. Exactly. I think as well, with, with him, um, there's always that little bit where we were holding out on Hughes for a certain amount of money and then we go and sign him on loan. It was always like, couldn't we have just used the money? We're paying his wages. Couldn't we have just pulled it towards Hughes and made him sign a deal? I'll see you that and raise you Ozan too, fan. Absolutely. I agree well, completely. I mean, the, well. the, the money fundamentally in the summer was frittered. Was, was, was wasted um, and we've seen players not being integrated into the squad who were bought in so why make those changes why not absolutely as Harry says why not do that to keep somebody who was seemingly and reportedly happy at the club but, but this was his kind of his, his big contract happy to stay but it's got to be on the right basis and would have been good would have been good it's such a shame to see yeah. him in Crystal Palace <laughs> It, 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 it hurts. It's disgusting to see him in that as well. But yeah, it seems like at the start of the season, what we were putting all the eggs in one basket, wasn't it? They was hoping that Shuzi and Chalaba were going to sign those contracts. And then they both decided that, no, actually, we're going to move on to um, new new sides in London. and We're going to leave. And then Watford, it just looked like they absolutely panicked. They brought in Kushka, the 35, 36-year-old on loan. They brought in Ozan Tufan and they brought in Musa Sissoko to try and fill that gap in centre midfield, but it's completely backfired. And you would have thought with like the the, the Pozos network, they might, might have been looking at these players for a while, thinking, hang on, Tuesday and Chalaber, they're out of contract soon. Let's try and keep an eye on someone who we could possibly bring in. And then it just looked like it was a massive gamble, wasn't it, really, to bring in these three players? And if anything, they've, they've not been what we needed, have they? Well, I think I think you've, you've hit the nail on the head when you use the word the Potso network, because with all of the stuff that came out at the recent um, supporter committee, one of the things was that though it's all it's on Scott it's at Scott Duxbury's door, and the question is is now looking at things in 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 hindsight and hindsight is twenty twenty as we all know, 
um, is the fact that I would question whether or not we are getting the benefit of the POTSO network or whether what we are actually getting is the people who are available, as you say, in a panic buy through the agent Mogi Bayat because we're suddenly yeah. getting an awful lot of players with French league and Belgian league connections, which is where he ha- tends to operate. Um, and he was involved openly in, I think, nine of the deals so far. And the problem is when you tie yourself to a single agent, first of all, you better have a bloody good stable of players available, such as George Mendes at, at, at Wolves, which is you know, kind of, he, he kind of went in there when Nuno first went in there and they suddenly got Jimenez and they got uh, a load of Portuguese players there. Moki Bayer hasn't got that. He's got, he's got the, 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 the other players from from the lesser lights in France and the lesser lights in Belgium. So KMB, um, loser is one of his players in fairness, and he's he's not bad. But the rest of it doesn't seem to be doesn't seem to be of the standard that we would have expected in the league that we'd previously seen, as we described, you know, Dukes and Capu, etc. And it does seem to have been last minute. So the the the, the whole forward planning, the whole great connections into leagues that are under scouted seems to have gone a little bit. Um, and I think we are looking at the suffering from that because we are not doing our proper due diligence and bringing in the people that we should have always had planned. And final quick, final point on that, sorry, I'm ranting here, is if Mogi no. Bayat, if Mogi Bayat is doing that, what the hell is Cristiano Gioretta, the new technical director, doing? Other than sending out pictures of his Christmas tree on 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 Twitter. Because if you've got somebody that you're going to, then he is surplus to requirements. I'll shut yeah. up. And it's a good point you brought up, Mogi Bayer, as well, because obviously the finances came out from Watford a couple of weeks ago, and Watford have maybe spent the fourth or fifth amount in the champ in the Premier League on agents' fees. Um, so that's behind the, the big four, and then you see little old Watford doing um, being up there as well, and you're thinking, what on earth are you doing, paying all this money for the agent fees? But it's all over to Mogi Bayer again, isn't it, Pete? Because isn't there a big court case against him at the moment as well where there's, there's lots of people on his back and I think he's even moved countries to try and move away from um, well, the issues that are going on. When when we had the, the spaces after the, the Wolves 4-0 defeat, there's a lovely memory for everybody, isn't there? Um, <laughs> I, 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 I made the comparison that I made earlier on, which is George Mendes has got a certain quality of players. You know, Ruben Neves, he's a player, no doubt about it. Um, whereas what we had going out there was, you know, up at Wolves was, was pitiful, to be quite frank. Um, and I, I described him as saying he's always one court case away from, from prison, basically, because he, he has numerous... Um, examples of this this going on and there are loads of reports uh, the always excellent Lou Orns on Twitter did a fantastic article on his on his blog space which was which was beautifully put if you get a chance go to Lou Orns follow him down on that for for, for his Twitter piece um, yes he is basically in one court case or another around the movement of players who the player didn't want to move, but the move has been put through because he can earn on it. He apparently had fingers in the, uh, in the SAR deal in some way, shape or form um, uh, as well, even though he's not connected to it. So he seems to be the, uh, I think the phrase is kind of pet agent at the moment for, uh, for, 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 for Gino or Scott Duxbury at Watford, he apparently, according to the the Athletic, has pretty much the run of the place. You know, in terms of he, he can go in, sit down at whatever desk, and start working basically. So, um, you know that, and that's you know you can talk about the ethics about it all you like. If you if you've got somebody with good connections, and we pay twelve and a half million to agents, and there would have been other agents' fees in that. Um, but obviously a lot of it will, will, have, will have ended up in, uh, in Mogi Bayat's pockets because that's what he's there to do for a living. If you pay 12.5 million and you get a whole lot of value for it, fine, nobody cares. The question is we're looking at our team, seeing it being wholly dysfunctional and saying, really, where's the value come from? Dennis is the obvious example. Whether or not the rumoured £25 million pound agreed transfer of him to Villarreal will actually play out we don't know but that would that would pay some of the funds back from from what we what we've paid out and what we'll lose on coming back down out of out of the premiership but I would suggest that other than that those players have not really um not really done it from a from a from a from our point of view yeah and going back on what you just said about um players not wanting to move or giving money to make the move 
Um, I think I was reading in an article, whether it was Lou Orns or Adam Leventer, but one player who moved to Watford and he's actually came out lately and said that he didn't want the move was Ubi Ule, Ubi the, like the six, yeah, yeah, the six foot five Belgian player who we signed from Club Bruges. Supposedly he didn't want to make the move to Watford, but um, the agent got involved and gave money over to family members as well. And this is an actual case that's been investigated as well. So. Uh, I'm sure there's probably many more of these. <laughs> was he involved in the whole ho- um, Jose Holabas? He never wanted to join Watford, did he? <laughs> <laughs> no, in, fa- in, fa- in fairness to, Ob- uh, to, to Mogi Barrett, and those aren't words that I, I often use, um, I don't think we can blame everybody for that. I think that was, as, as we know of Jose Holabas, he'll, he'll have an argument in a phone box on his own. I don't think he needs any help there, bless him. <laughs> Loved him to I pieces, but <laughs> Because we're talking a bit about the supporters committee as well, I'll come to you first, Harry. Um, obviously, we saw the questions that was asked in the meeting, uh, and obviously, not everyone was invited. Only like a fourteen groups were invited, like from podcast fanzines, uh, supporters groups, um, all went along to it. But if if you went along to it, Harry, would there be a question that you would wanted to ask that wasn't um, asked during the meeting? To be honest, I, I looked into it and no, not really. Do I think I think it's a bit of a smoke screen personally? We stopped talking about the performances while this was being uh, spoken about for two weeks. Uh, I just want to see them actually act on what they've said for once. Uh, so no, I wouldn't have asked any other questions. I want them to act on it. And why bring it out at this time of year when we are well, on the verge of relegation, um, I think it's personally just to take a little bit of attention away from how bad we've been on the pitch. Yeah, I've seen a few people say that as well. So you're not the only one feeling uh, like that. Pete, would there be any questions that you would have liked to ask Scott Duxbury? Thousands. No, um, <laughs> I think I think in answer to why now, first of all, there is uh, an FA directive that clubs now need to do that in the Premier League. They need to have fans focus groups i think was their phrase so i think it ticks that box right. in, in some way shape, or form. that might that might be the why now because if if we go back on the fans forums the actual proper fans forums they they were the the, the potsos of most clubs in fairness will do them when everything's going well hunky dory let's go out and see the fans let's get some backslapping going on but when it's not been that it's ooh, right okay we'll stand back and you can kind of understand that why do they want to put themselves in the firing line um if it, if it was me, generally, because the finances were actually released on the same evening. So um, I, I interviewed Justin and Carl from Do Not Scratch Your Eyes uh, last week. And uh, the moment that the notes were released, we kind of did an interview and then I po- posted that out because there's no point you're you know we are here disseminating okay it might be opinion and take it or leave it but information to people that's that's what these channels are for so to think that people are going in and not wanting to disseminate information it kind of seems against their purpose and whole reason so we tried to do that but the 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 question that i would go in and ask him about would be I'd want to know about Mogi Barrett. I'd want to know about his involvement. I want to know what Cristiano Giretta has brought to the table other than a Twitter account. Um, We've gone through three um, technical directors in our time um, in terms of the first one was Nani. He was at the game on Saturday. Um, So what's Nani's involvement would be good because he's come back. He's a former Brescia coach and, uh, and he, he first came in with the Pozzos. Okay. You had Giraldi. Giraldi got shopped off for, you know, the, the fans basically just finally gave up on him. You've got Giretta, but you've also got this other thing that's going on there. That's fine. But when you bought Roy Hodgson, you went to Luke Dowling, who was another former technical director mm. uh, for the UK only or some other position on it. What's Giretta doing? And why? The other thing I would ask is if, as as stated, not only this time, but the previous time, is that we're trying to create a pathway through for every boy and girl who want to come through and play at Watford in, in, in an academy route through, is when we're going to have Category A uh, academy status. Because if you don't, it's pointless. Shut it down. Yeah. It's a waste of cash. Or you invest, probably I would suggest, 
oh, I don't know, a third of an Ozan 2 fan. I'm now using Ozan 2 fan as a unit of currency. Um, you, you invest a bit of that in making it Academy A status and give Jimmy Gilligan and Richard Johnson a chance of bringing through the players, but not losing the, the future Jaden Sancho's, not losing, and I can never remember his name, I think it was Galvin, the, uh, the, the, the little left back who was supposed to be mustard. He, he shipped off to, to Manchester City because the thing called EPP, um, the Elite Player Performance Plan that the FA put in place about 10 years ago, which is basically just in so that all of the bigger clubs can rape and pillage and plunder the better players from the non-category A groups. We have to be in it. There are, I'm doing a little bit on it, so I do know a bit about this. There are 27 clubs in it at the moment. And we talk about, GT always used to say, if we keep being in the top 30, then we are doing well. We might be a bit of a yo-yo club, but if we're in the top 30, we're doing well. We cannot hope to stay in the top 30 unless we go category A. If you've got 27 other clubs who can come and basically go, we'll have your best for a peppercorn rent because that's what they'll do. So you either do it properly or you don't do it at all. Scott, what's the answer? Yeah, no, I'm glad you've made a point about because that, that was going to be my question towards them as well about the category A status, how we're losing all our better players to all these category A's. So, you because you're saying you're looking into it a little bit at the moment, Pete, how did the club go about getting a category A? Is it just as simple as just applying and paying more money towards it? It's, or do you it's have to have infrastructure. The, 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 it, basically, you have to have a certain number of people in a certain number of positions. The the last time I looked into it, and I haven't looked into it this time, but the previous time, was the, 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 the jump from where we were, which I think was Category C at the time, to Category A was around £2.5 million, or a third of an Ozan 2 fan. Um, so that you would use that and kind of go, OK, that's what you've got to do. What it probably is, is an awful lot more hassle, because you've got to have a certain amount of budget for for this and that and the other and etc. And of course, during the pandemic, of course, they weren't going to do it. Nobody could go, nobody could travel. But they bought in Richard Johnson, who is, you know, a, a, a genuine legend of the club, gone through the, the GT second era, um, ha, has gone away, has come back in, has been in the commercial sense, in the organisational sense. He seems to be running that side of it. And you bought Jimmy Gilligan, who, and I appreciate, I'm sorry, I'm going back to the dawn of time here, chaps, but he was the first player in 1984 to score the first European goal for Watford ever away at Kaiserslautern. He was part of a reserve team that were just astonishing and they, they were brilliant and loads of them came through and played in that UEFA Cup run. So between the two of them, they've got a great knowledge about what it takes to come through and get into a senior environment, what it means to represent this club, all the things you would want instilled in young players. I think they've got it in droves. Gilligan is a youth coach of huge repute, really is. Um, you know, so I, I, I couldn't be more than happier to, to have both of those two guys in there because I go, yeah, brilliant. Here's the keys to the car. Go drive it. Brilliant. But what we have to do is make sure that their good work and all of the other academy coaches that they want to bring in aren't going to be developing good players who can basically be ripped, ripped away for the price on the menu. Because that's what it is that you, you go down. I mean, if you Google literal or go to Wikipedia and go EPPP, um, you'll, you'll see the price per year that they're with us. And like the most expensive cost is something going to be like half a million if we've been developing them for ages. And so you can imagine Jaden Sancho, how much uh, Man City made. They cost, I think it was something like 350 grand to take him. They sold him to Dortmund and then they also got sell on fee benefits when Dortmund sold him on to Man United. So those players we have to keep and we have to integrate. And I appreciate it's not going to solve today. It's not going to solve next season. It's a long-term plan. But the one thing I think we, we all want is a long-term plan to go along with the short-termism opportunities that the Potsos have provided thus far. 100%. And with you mentioning James and Sancho as well, isn't that transfer being investigated at the moment as well? How um, Manchester yep. City, supposedly, I think, like maybe paid family members for James and Sancho to move make the move from Watford to Manchester City as well. Um so basically everything's been investigated. <laughs> oh the 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 movement of young players has forever been shrouded in, you know, oh we we we've got him a job, you know, the father. Um and he happens to have a nice car and a nice house and has been relocated. And it's only it's only gonna get worse than that uh moving forward. I'm sure in you know other clubs, shall we say other smaller clubs 
than, than, than Watford would probably look at Watford and give us equal um, kind of, you know, kind of bad status about having done that to them, etc. But I'm afraid this is now becoming a question of, you know, kind of <laughs> dog eat dog. And at the, at the moment, we've got a strategic anomaly that if Duxbury's going to do what he says he's going to do and he doesn't go for category A, I appreciate this is a real technical, boring thing for people, apologies. Then it's then it's basically it's just that he needs to back Johnson and he needs to back Gilligan on a ten year plan. So in all of the stuff where they say no, we're going to have a new manager and we're not going to keep uh, keep a manager for very long. Fine, but have a long term plan underneath it, and then do keep the manager preferably. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I think this is where Harry's saying um, just you got to you got to stick to your words, um, isn't it, Harry? Whatever Duxbury is coming out and saying now, you, you don't really care what you're saying. You want to see actions. Absolutely. I mean, we, we've heard a lot from him before. I mean, you only had to look on Twitter to see a certain paragraph uh, thousands and thousands of times. But um, we've, we've, we've heard it all. I just want to see action. And, yeah, it's not really much more you can say until you start seeing some sort of improvement off the pitch. 100%. And... Just quickly, before we wrap up the podcast, I did mention it earlier that a certain side in the Premier League have parted ways with their manager. Uh, Burnley got rid of Sean Dyche. Uh, he was appro- approaching 10 years at Turf Moor, um, but they've decided to get rid of him with um, a few remaining games left in hope of them trying to stay in the Premier League. Um, I'll come to you first here, Pete. Um would you take Sean Dyche back at Watford? Um, a few people have mentioned it. Uh, it's very split, I've seen. Um, but h- how would you feel about Sean Dyche coming back? Or would you like him to return? Uh, I, I like him because he was a great servant. He played youth coach, reserve team and finally manager. His first six or first five months of football was atrocious here at Watford. I thought it was turgid. But then what he did in terms of picking it up was really something. Um, I thought he took a, a very poor side, you know, an awful long way. I think we finished 11th in the championship, which doesn't sound much at the time. It was monumental. So I think he's a good manager. Would I have him? No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't go backwards um, to that. The only reason I think Duxbury would is if he thought he would assure us of promotion next season. I would like to see Diego Martinez, the former Granada manager. And I appreciate that um, a lot of people may go who, a lot of people will know it. He basically took Granada into the Europa League. He brought them up basically from the Segunda B, a, a great season in in, uh, in La Liga. And he, he's, I think he's more than useful. And I think uh, that, that would probably be my preference because I also like the football he plays, which is attacking. And I think we've had two seasons when, when, the, when the fans have been able to go. Um, you know, if you discount the championship season, we've had two seasons where the football has been fairly turgid most of the time it would be really nice to see some good football in the championship personally I'm actually looking forward to getting back to down to the championship um, oh. it's proper football down there um, yeah, decent away games as well and more more chance of winning football games um, I, I spent four and a half years basically telling anybody who would listen which weren't many they just go shut up they go away um, that I, I preferred the championship to the premiership. And then when it looked like we were going down, it's, you know, the old bottom lip started to go. And it was like, well, actually, I quite like to stay here. It's quite nice comfortable seats. <laughs> but no, the, champ- the championship's great fun. And it's it's Saturday, Tuesday. You know, you get to the end of September and rather than playing three games, you've played 13. You know, that's that's what I want. I'd be happy with that. Like but then I'd be happy to like win it again. Like in the championships at the moment as well. We've just had that bank holiday weekend. Obviously, we've only had one game over the bank holiday weekend in the Premier League Championship. You get two. You get the Friday and the Monday. Um, so, that's what we're missing as well. Um, Harry, how, how would you feel about Sean Dyche potentially coming back? Would, would you would you like that? No, it's, it's not for me. Um, like Pete said, he was brilliant the first time. Um, no, I wouldn't. Oh, lights on. Um, no. I, <laughs> <laughs> um, would I have him back? No, it's okay to... Like for someone to be a good manager and us not to want him, I don't really want him back. I'd rather sort of fight in the championship playing watchable football than win the championship um, with sort of his style. Um, I think a couple of years of just just good attacking football, uh, even if it's like counter-attacking football, I don't care as long as it's something that's going to get me off my seat. I'm not too bothered who we bring in. Um, I just want to enjoy going to watch Watford again, which... 
as Pete said, for two years, it's not really been the case. Yeah, no, no one looks forward to going to watch Watford play at the moment. And it's such a shame as well with it being our club. And that's w- what we love to do. And it's what we enjoy doing. But it's definitely not been enjoyable at the moment. Um, I agree with you too. I, I, I wouldn't particularly like Sean Dyche to come back. I like him as a character. I think he's been brilliant for the Premier League. He's really interesting and he's funny to watch. Um, but would I want him to marriage Watford Football Club? N- not really. Um, for football-wise, I don't think it would make us excited to go watch Watford I think he could maybe do us a job maybe get us to like top six in the championship next season but are we going to really be entertained not really um, so I, I would go down the same route as Pete with Diego Martinez um, Lou Warnes has done a really good piece on him today if you if you want to read up on him he's okay. gone into his life before where he's worked under Umre Emery as his um, youth team manager then assistant yeah. manager won the UEFA Cup um, with him then he wanted to be his own man he went off and managed a, maybe uh, another small side and he did well for them and he worked for Osasuna and Ben Granada and he it, 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 just carried on moving up the ladder and supposedly he was at Watford's training ground uh, last summer he spent like six weeks there learning about Watford um Watford and the English football um supposedly we've all heard these rumors that supposedly he's got a house in and around the St Albans Harpenden area as well where he has been staying um, so that would maybe tie in the Watford link as well and he's got a good relationship with Gino Pozzo so maybe that's one to watch uh, Lou Horns has said in the last 24 hours that he's heard that it's been verbally agreed that he will join Watford in the s- summer but a lot of things can happen from now to the end of the summer uh, I just hope that summer arrives now so we can um, get in, in through the door because it would be more entertaining football. Um, but yeah, um, that's the end for this podcast this week. I must say a massive thank you to Harry and Pete for joining me today. Uh, wasn't too bad, Harry, in the end, was it? Nah, not too bad at all. Good stuff. Yeah, thank you for joining me, mate. And Pete, thank you for coming on as well. It's been an absolute honour to have you on because I absolutely love listening to you on the Do Not Scratch Your Eyes and your, and your boot room as well. Oh, well, thanks very much. That's very kind of you. And sorry, everybody, that I've just gone on a rant, but, you know, what the hell? Cheers. <laughs> no, you, you're just speaking about um, all the issues that Watford fans are wanting to get off their chest at the moment. So, and this is what we want to do. Um, I don't know if Mike, anyone on YouTube saw Mike's comment. Uh, my, my idea at the moment is to get Watford fans on here to voice their opinions and give them a voice and a platform to get their opinions across. Um, so if you do want to get on um, the voice of the Vic in the, the next coming on weeks and have your say, um, just drop me a message on my personal Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or the Voices of the Vic account and we'll be more than happy to get you on to have your say as well. We've got a couple more people lined up as well, um, so I'm really excited to get them on um, to show their voice and so you can hear them and see them so yeah thank you very much for joining us um if you're watching on youtube don't forget to hit the like button hit the subscribe button and i'll be back next week to discuss the manchester city um game which i'm absolutely dreading and i don't know why i should just have a week off (laughs) maybe it'll be a short one next week we'll see but yeah thank you for joining us and we'll be back next week come on you ones Podcast Network.